Welcome to the Rehope Podcast. Before we dive into this week's message, we'd like to provide you with some helpful resources. If you'd like someone to pray for you, it would be our joy to connect with you. So please email us at prayer at rehope.co.uk. If you'd like to get connected with an online Bible read-through group from wherever you are in the world, you can email brt at rehope.co.uk and be a part of a small group of people reading through the Bible cover to cover each year. Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. Good morning, church. Good morning, good to see you. Happy Chinese New Year to any of our friends who are celebrating as well. Uh, Fun weekend. Happy Vision Sunday. Today we press pause on Abraham just for a moment and we have a chance to step back and to consider, okay, what is God saying to us here as a church here in the West End? We know across our whole church uh, we are praying for new beginnings We want to pray for new beginnings. And maybe you're here right now, maybe you're here with us today or you're watching online because you're experiencing one of those new beginning moments in your life. In which case, amazing. We are so glad that you're here and we'd love to hear your story. Sometimes we get to hear what's going on, sometimes we don't, but we would love to hear your story if you're experiencing one of those new beginning moments. Maybe you're here and you're like, I hardly dare to believe that a new beginning is possible for me. Maybe with some of the stuff that's been in your life, maybe some of the things that you've felt plagued by for years or some of the areas that just feel impossible or you're like, I've been far from God for so long and I don't know, I don't know if a new beginning is actually possible for me. We'd love to just say, okay, stay here, stay with us, let us stand with you in faith. We have faith for your new beginning because we have faith in the God of new beginnings. And so we want to stand with you as you go after that, as you ask some of those questions, as maybe you're prayed for, as you're maybe doing Alpha or whatever it looks like for you. Now, just so that you know where I'm going today, uh, my title today for the message is Living in the Fear of the Lord. And after I'd kind of had the screens prepped, I was like, oh, maybe I should have called it Going in the Fear of the Lord, because really, I'm thinking about living in the fear of the Lord as fueling our going to share Jesus with our world and with whoever he's placed us with. And maybe you're like, what is the fear of the Lord? And if you are, that's okay. That's where I was on Tuesday when God put this on my heart. And so if nothing else, we can take today as a sort of like, let's open the can of worms. Let's start to explore this together and see what God might be saying to us. Uh, But first, a little bit of context, I guess, of where we've been as a church and some of the things that we've been thinking about. We have been thinking a while about evangelism, by which I just mean sharing Jesus, going boldly, sharing Jesus, sharing his love, who he is, what he's done for us with not only um, with our community, like with where we are, literally where we are, but then also where we are in terms of like where God has placed us all individually. We're all so spread out and in different zones. And you'll, you'll see that as you meet different people on a Sunday, you'll be like, wow, like I can't even imagine doing the job that you're doing or being where you are studying the thing that you're studying. And yet God has placed us all, kind of spread us all out over our city so that we can go and so that we can share him. And we want evangelism by that definition to become part of our culture as a church to become part of our lifestyle as people because not because we want to tick some sort of spiritual achievement box or feel good about ourselves but because we really do believe 
um, what it says in Ephesians 2.10, when it's like, okay, you are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus for good works. We believe that actually you're not, um, we're not saved by what we're going to do, but we're, we're made for something. We're saved for something. There's something for us. And even that there'd be something for us here in Glasgow in 2024, wherever God has put you, we really do believe that. So we've been thinking about evangelism on one hand, and then on the other hand, God has been reawakening us in worship, like young and old across our whole church as we've sort of been like, okay, if Jesus is just worthy of my worship, no matter what sort of day I'm having or what season I'm in or how I feel or what my preferences are, if he just is worthy, then is that reflected in my worship? We've kind of been on a little bit of a journey with that together. Quick segue, um, this is Riley, the dog. This is Riley. He's nice. He's very regal there, <laughs> like, like a sphinx. <laughs> um, so that's Riley. I'm looking after Riley right now. He's not my dog. I'm just looking after him for a while, though. Maybe... Maybe I'll just keep him. <laughs> He's the hog's dog. <laughs> um, I'm looking after Riley right now, and I love Riley. I love Riley. But nothing, like, supercharges my love for Riley, like when he shows me that he loves me. So when I come home and he's like doing little circles all around the hallway and he raises his paws up higher, when I sit on the sofa and he needs to get like every inch of his body touching my body, I'm like, oh, I love you. If our hearts aren't hard, there's something that happens to us when someone loves us, when someone like obviously loves us. It does something to us. It draws love out of us. We can't help ourselves unless our hearts are hardened to it. We can't help ourselves but, but love in return when we experience that kind of love. I think it's really the reason that all of us, all of us, right, <laughs> love dogs. <laughs> because they love us so much, so then we love them back. And now, without thinking too much about me comparing Riley the dog to God here, I think something of this, it's so simple, and yet there's something of this happening in our worship where, as a church, it's like we're not... It's not about like me worshiping right, like Laura, like doing something right, but I'm in, in choosing to worship God, the God who loves us. It's like he's, he's revealing his love to us more, and then that's like bringing love out of us, and I believe that is what will compel us to go. If we're going to do the evangelism thing, if I'm going to share my faith, then it's going to have to be love that will compel me. And so when it comes to what we've been thinking about over the last little while in, in the area of evangelism and then in the area of worship, I don't so much view them as like two separate things, but more like two sides of one coin. And that's kind of where we've been. And then we had our leaders prayer gathering at the start of this year. And as part of that, our elders, our staff, people from our church from across all the locations, we got together and we prayed and we asked God, okay, um, we asked him for all the locations, but we asked him, what is on your heart for us here, Rehope West End, for the next season? And we spent some time listening and we took note of those things. And you're already reading them, but you can see some of the things that people submitted, some of the things that different people were taking note of. Someone said, praying for a new Pentecost, for the Spirit to be poured out abundantly on people in Rehope West End. Someone else, different, said, fire for his plan. Someone else just said, fire, fire. <laughs> Someone else said, God gave them a picture of the West End on fire. Pentecost vibes. But we need to ask the risen Jesus to clothe us in power. He gives his power to those who will handle it with his love. A couple of different people felt like God gave them pictures of volcanoes erupting, symbolizing new ministries and reawakening, coming out of here with like volcanic strength and reach. 
Someone else said a missionary hub. Someone else said we're to become a mission hub for Glasgow to reach all the unreached people groups of Glasgow coming from a willing heart that says, I will go there. And multiple people were praying along the lines of, Lord, bring more, send more. Like, fill us up, send us out. Just We want those open doors of people coming in and being reawakened to who God is and then going out wherever he would call them to be. And what a part of me on this night, one part of me going home was like, yeah, this seems just like God. (laughs) Like, it seems just like him to say that he would want to fill us with his spirit and then send us out. Like, that seems exactly like God. Another part of me, I'm not going to lie, was like, really, Lord? Like, could we not, could the word not be like peace and tranquility? Or, you know, could we not be like still waters, church? Why do we have to be fire, church? And then another part of me was like, Lord, is this even possible? Like, look at me. Look at us. Like, is this even possible? Like, are you speaking this? And and can we do this? And then I was in Acts for SBS, um, Scotland Bible School, last week. I'm still in (laughs) Acts. But in Acts, we see God, the Holy Spirit, come and just blaze through ordinary people. And this church is born that becomes a missions hub, sending people everywhere, like literally to the ends of the known world with the gospel, with the message of who Jesus was, with what, with what they knew of him to be. And they went and they were a missions hub, not because they were amazing or because they had it all figured out or because they'd been discipled for ages under some incredible discipler, although some of them had, <laughs> but because the Holy Spirit was going to the ends of the earth with the message of who Jesus was. God himself was going there, and God had chosen, has chosen to come and dwell in the ordinary person, in you, in me, in anyone who believes. And there's a few defining features I noticed of that Holy Spirit church in Acts. The Holy Spirit is there, and he's helping believers share boldly. You can't miss that. He's unifying them. He's making them generous. He's making them joyful. And then there's it's more and more people coming to faith, just like the whole way sprinkled through. We see that that's what's happening. But then there's this other feature of the church in Acts. I noticed in Acts chapter 2, verse 43, it says, A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many signs and wonders. And then it's more unity, generosity, joy, growth. And I wonder that it's not... The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and a great sense of awe came over them all. It's the other way around. A great sense of awe came over them all, and I wonder if that's more a a deep sense of awe that comes from just having God in your midst doing what he was doing. Some Bible translations call it awe. Some call it fear. And a lot is recorded in the next seven chapters. There's a healing. There's growth. Ananias and Sapphira lie to the Holy Spirit and die Many come to faith, opposition is growing, Stephen is martyred, Paul, Saul, their like biggest persecutor and opponent is radically transformed because he meets Jesus and he becomes a disciple. And then in chapter 9, Luke, the author, gives this kind of summary statement and it's this, it says, the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. So I guess my vision message today is more of a question and a proposal. And the question is, do we live in the fear of the Lord? 
Because it seems to me like believers living in the fear of the Lord was incredibly fruitful when it came to them being strengthened and when it came to other people coming to know who Jesus was. In Acts 9.31, in that summary statement, there's two defining features of the church. One of them is that the Holy Spirit is there with his encouragement, which seems to be in context from however I can see it, a kind of like a holy urging, like a okay, come on, we can do this, let's go, keep going. He's there with his like holy urging, his comfort, his encouragement, and then the believers are living in the fear of the Lord. So let's start where I needed to. Um, what is the fear of the Lord then, according to the Bible? I can see some clues in Acts by looking back over what comes before that summary statement. So if he's kind of summarizing what's going on, if that's what defines the church, then I looked backwards to see kind of, okay, what does this mean? What's this saying about fear of the Lord? And I can see a couple of things. The first thing is it seems to be a shared response to God and what God does. In chapter three, the church is all together and the deep sense of awe comes over them all. In chapter five, you read the story of Ananias and Sapphira lying to the Holy Spirit and dying, food for thought, (laughs) kind of weird kind of big, definitely food for thought. And then it says with Ananias first, it says great fear came upon all who heard of it. And then with Sapphira, just a moment later, then it says great fear came upon the whole church. Luke says in chapter nine, the church became stronger as the believers lived in fear of the Lord, like the believers. So it makes sense to me that this is something that God would speak to us about and lead us into together. And maybe not just us, maybe like, even on a bigger scale, it makes sense to me that this would be a shared thing. And then the second clue that I see in Acts is that fear of the Lord and faith go together. In chapter three, Peter's, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter preaches, and then 3,000 people believe. And then next we hear about the church with this deep sense of awe being one of the features of it. And then again it says, just after, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. After Ananias and Sapphira die, there's great fear grips the church. You're like, yeah, that makes sense. But then three verses later, it says, yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of men and women. We read that story in scripture and we're like, wait, this is like, this is kind of weird, like fear. Surely that's a bad thing. And yet it's in that context that it says more than ever believers were added to the Lord. And that fascinates me. In chapter 9, again, it's in the fear of the Lord and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit that the church is growing. That's what's documented. And even in chapter 12 of Acts, we're told this kind of funny story. There's like this little interruption where we're told a story about Herod. And he's speaking, he's doing a speech, and the people greet him like he is a god. And then we're told that he um, is struck down dead because he doesn't give God the glory in that moment. And then the next verse, 12, 24, it says, meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread and there were many new believers. So it's like Luke, the author, has kind of put like these two things back to back, this, this comparison of like Herod has no fear of the Lord. Like in his pride, he's like, okay, yeah, greet me like a God. And then he dies, that brings death. And then on the other hand, you have this community living in the fear of the Lord and it's bringing life and it's stirring life Among them, seemingly fear of the Lord for believers is not a bad thing, but a life-bringing thing, a belief-stirring thing that reaches beyond them. So it makes me think, even as I begin, I'm like, okay, more fear of the Lord must be a good thing for me, for us. But then I wonder, okay, what about in the Bible bigger picture? If that's kind of a couple of clues that we can see from the book of Acts, then what about in the Bible generally? What is the fear of the Lord and what does it do? 
And I guess um, my question as I sort of started to work my way through the Bible, and I only made it to Deuteronomy, okay, in the time that we had. I only made it to Deuteronomy. But in looking through, I guess my question I'm asking as we go through is, if this is what fear of the Lord looks like in someone's life, just like an ordinary person like these people were, if this is what fear of the Lord looks like in their lives, do I have it? <laughs> Does my life like evidence that I have it? Okay, whistle stop tour. Brian taught from Genesis chapter 20 just a few weeks ago, um, so hopefully it's fresh in our minds. But in it, we heard the story of King Abimelech, who um, wasn't one of God's people, but Abraham had lied and had said Sarah was his sister, and so Abimelech had taken Sarah home to his household. And then the Lord appears, like the Lord speaks to King Abimelech and reveals the evil that he's in because of what Abraham has done. And in Abimelech's life, even though he's not one of God's people, fear of the Lord sparks quick healing repentance for him. He quite literally turns and leaves what is evil. He gets it out. He removes himself from it immediately. And it has a healing effect. We're told in the story that he's, like, not only for him, like, it's not a healing effect just for him, but actually his household and his people, there's a healing ramification that comes because of his repentance, because of his fear of the Lord. And I wondered then, as I looked back at that story, do I have the sort of fear of the Lord that gets me out of evil quickly? Or do I sort of, am I more prone to sort of like negotiating with God? Like, is this wrong, Lord? Is this wrong? Is this like, how do you feel about this thing or that thing? Like, is it, are you, is it wrong? Are you sure? Is it, or do I maybe want to just stay like just on the right side? of what is wrong or right in the Lord's eyes. How often, I wonder, do we live for years with things in our lives that God is longing for us to turn from? Maybe entrenched in something, um, entrenched in some sort of habitual thing like sin, whether it's like small or big or whatever, maybe kind of entrenched in something or maybe like living with unforgiveness or whatever it might be. And we think, okay, I need like, I need healing in this area. I need healing here so that I can stop this or so that I can turn from this or so that I can make a new path for myself or so that I can forgive. But looking at this again, I was like, what if actually what I, what I need is fear of the Lord so that I quickly turn from that thing and then find healing? Fear of the Lord that would prompt me to forgive quickly that I would then find healing, not wait for the healing and then do the thing that God is prompting me to do. If I feel stuck in something in my life, I, I figure I actually probably don't have any more willpower to give it. Maybe I need some more fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord sparks quick healing repentance in Genesis chapter 20. And then in Genesis chapter 22, God's testing Abraham. Abraham is about to kill Isaac, his son. And then it says, the angel of the Lord stops him and says, do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. So in this story, we see Abraham led by fear of the Lord. It's fear of the Lord for Abraham that leads him to obey God with that which is even most precious to him. Fear of the Lord seems to be uniquely powerful when it comes to obedience. And maybe not just like the, I don't know, kind of like day-to-day run-of-the-mill obedience, but even the sort of obedience that requires us to do something or to lay down something that maybe is most testing for us. And so maybe our prayers shift from, okay, God, help me to trust you with this thing. Help me to trust you with this thing. To God, help me to know you like Abraham knew you. Help me to see you like Abraham saw you. 
that I would trust you with even what is most precious to me. Fear, like fear, fear says, keep your eyes down. Give God this thing. Don't give God that. You don't know what he's going to do with it. But fear of the Lord is like, look at him. Look at him. Trust him with everything. Fear of the Lord helps us trust God with everything. Keeping going into Exodus, Exodus chapter 9, we're in the middle of the plagues. God is sending the plagues to free his people from Egypt. And God says through Moses in chapter 9 that he's going to send heal as the next plague. And that anyone outside when it comes, like it's going to be so violent, I guess, that they're going to die. And so it says in, in verse 20, those among Pharaoh's officials who feared the word of the Lord made their servants and livestock flee to shelters, but those who didn't take to heart the Lord's word left their servants and livestock in the field. And we see with that that fear of the Lord is actually a protective force because when we fear the Lord, we take his words seriously. And again, here in this story, Pharaoh's officials quickly act. It says like they hurried to get their people inside and out of harm's way. But some don't. And I wonder, like, how much in our lives, how much in my life could I have been spared needless anguish if I'd just been quick <laughs> to hear and obey? I think so often it's not a case of us being like, God, I don't trust you at all. But we're just slow. Fear of the Lord on the other side of Jesus means that no matter what the ask is, no matter what the thing might be or the area of, the life, area of our life that it might be, we can look at him and we can know without a shadow of a doubt that we are loved by him today and we can trust him with the thing that we have to set down or with the thing that we have to move out of or whatever it is, we can trust that he is good. Fear of the Lord can be a protective force in our life as we take God at his word. In Deuteronomy then, a theme emerges where we see fear of the Lord juxtaposed with fear of enemies. In Deuteronomy eleven twelve, it says this, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He only requires that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him, love him, serve him with all your heart and soul, obeying his commands and decrees for your own good. Why? Why fear the Lord? It says in verse 14, Look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God, yet... The Lord chose your ancestors as the object of his love. Maybe that's a kind of fear of the Lord 101 right there. Why should we fear the Lord? Look, look, the God of the heavens and the earth, the maker of all things, this God of majesty and wonder, look at him. And then look at you and know that he chose you as the object of his love. And in that space, I think that's where we have awe of him. When we see him and we see us and we know that he has chosen us as the object of his love. Now, these guys have to have a holy fear of God, but that runs alongside repeated instruction not to fear any enemy that they are facing. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, God's people, okay, as you are told, as you go into battle, don't be afraid of the enemy that you're facing. Even if they're bigger than you, even if they have more men than you, don't be afraid of the enemy that you're facing. But then I noticed this week in verse 8, it says, then the officers will also say, is anyone here afraid or worried? If you are, you may go home before you frighten anyone else. And so just like fear of the Lord is, is maybe something for us, like a shared thing for us as God's people, it seems like fear can also be a shared thing for God's people. It shook me a little bit this week to think that if there's fear in my life, if I 
tolerate fear, if I'm like answering to the voice of fear, that, that doesn't only affect me, but it might actually affect other people. It might actually like take me out of the game because I need to not frighten anyone else. <laughs> In Deuteronomy, I see fear of the Lord being this reverence for God above all else. And reverence means a deep respect for someone or something. And for the Israelites, this reverence was to come from knowing God, from seeing who he was and knowing his power, his character and his power. And God kept showing them that. They didn't have to do it blindly, but God kept showing them his character and his power. And it seems to go one of two ways for them through their story. Either fear of the Lord would lead them into obedience and life, or fear, fear, fear would lead them into disobedience and chaos. We know fear could hijack our calling as people, as a church, but fear of the Lord fixes our attention on the God who loves us and has chosen us. And his perfect love then casts out our fear. Fear of the Lord reminds us of the power of the one who goes with us. Fear of the Lord, if nothing else, brings us back to the truth that he is coming back to make all things right. And so fear of the Lord, I believe, can be a powerful weapon against fear in our lives. And there's so much more, and I only reached Deuteronomy, but based off what we have seen so far, even working through the Bible, can I define it for us? What is fear of the Lord? I'm going to try. Fear of the Lord in two sentences, if that's not cheating. Fear of the Lord is deep reverence for God that comes from knowing who he really is. And living with fear of the Lord leads to healing repentance, quicker, total trust, protection from evil, and a life of fearless friendship with God. I believe knowing what we know and knowing that we want to be a church that goes and sends, then more fear of the Lord would only be a good thing for us. So what do we do? As I come in to finish, what do we do? Hi. I'm always a hi person. I'm like, hi, Lord. Hi. And sometimes there's not like a simple hi. Sometimes you just have to pray, okay, Holy Spirit, come. Show me who God is. Show me yourself. Show me, Lord, your goodness. And I think that does have to be our prayer. And I think that has to underpin these two next like keys, so to speak, that I also saw looking in scripture this week. One of those keys, in Psalm 34, David writes, Come and listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Turn away from evil and do good. Fear of the Lord seems to lead God's people into good as God defines it. But it also seems a little bit like chicken and egg in Scripture. It's like, okay, do we have fear of the Lord and then we obey God? Or do we obey God and then we have fear of the Lord? It seems to be a little bit of both. And it seems to also be a little bit of chicken and egg the other way around. Now, Romans says people who are far from God, people who are living like in ways that don't please him, have no fear of God at all in Romans 3. And it seems like if God is just who he is, if God is the God of the heavens and the earth, king of kings, lord of lords, if he just is who he is, then if I'm living with like low or no reverence for him in my life that actually changes my life, then I must be pretty like spiritually switched off to who he is. So I'm pretty like spiritually switched off to his goodness, to his faithfulness, to his holiness. 
And so when temptation comes or when something comes that isn't good or isn't of him or isn't his best or isn't what he wants for me or how he teaches us to live, then I'm going to be more vulnerable to to that because it will probably look good. And I don't have a a better good to compare it to because I'm, I'm spiritually switched off to the God of the Bible. And then maybe I do that thing or I start to live in that thing or I, I start to believe that lie that's not true or whatever it might be. And then it's like we experience how living in that place, living in sin or kind of habitual sin can then just make fear of the Lord really low in our life too. We've probably experienced something like that where maybe you do something once or you do something for the first time and conviction hits so sharp it almost hurts. You're like, oh, I crossed the line there, that was wrong, and I need to repent right now. Like, we know what that feels like. But we also probably all have areas in our life or things in our life that we have struggled with for so long or that we used to struggle with for so long that we became totally numb to conviction in that area just because it was so much part of our life and our heart had become so numb to God in that. And I think so a simple key to fear of the Lord going up in our lives is to treasure repentance. To treasure repentance as the sort of thing that can switch our spiritual senses back on in those areas. To let the Holy Spirit search us and expose what needs to be brought into the light that we might become aware again of who God is. That we might live in that awareness and in that awe of him. We start our Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, we start our prayer times with repentance. And I know If we're honest, if I'm honest, sometimes I can treat that as like a little bit of a warm-up, like kind of like a little preamble before the real praying, when in reality, I'm like, Laura, if you appreciate what this is, if you see what this is, like, do you you believe that this is an opportunity for God, the God of the universe, to to turn you from death to life, to turn you from something that's like junk food (laughs) to a heavenly feast, like... As a heavenly parent, you know, I'm, I'm trying to run out onto the road and he's like, come back to safety. Like repentance is an incredible gift from a good God and yet I don't appreciate it as I should. But I think if we treasure repentance, it can increase fear of the Lord in our lives. And another key for us is to treasure God's word. We don't actually need to overthink this, which is glorious. In Deuteronomy 17, there's instructions for a king and how he is to learn how to fear the Lord. And it says in 17, 18, when he sits on the throne as king, he must copy for himself this body of instruction, so the scripture, on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. He must always keep that copy with him and read it daily as long as he lives. That way he will learn to fear the Lord his God by obeying all the terms of these instructions and decrees. The king was to copy it all out love that. That's kind of incredible and kind of like something we would never dream of doing. And yet the king was to copy out God's scriptures and then to keep them with him and to read them daily and to learn fear of the Lord by obeying him. And it's painful to then read through scripture and see how many like king after king fail to be king after God's own heart because they, their pride came in. Their, their fear of the Lord was low, even though God had literally given them what they needed in his word. I think Sometimes things seem too simple and we miss it. And I I tend to think that having fear of the Lord in my life can't be as simple as loving Scripture. But maybe I underestimate the power of Scripture in my life or the power of what God has said and what God has spoken, written down for me, telling me who he is, telling me who I am. For some of us, fear of the Lord might be low in our lives because we're not in his word 
or we maybe dip in and out, but I'd say for a lot more of us, fear of the Lord might be lower than it could be because we're maybe in his word and we maybe read his word, we maybe hear his voice, but we don't quickly apply it as we should. We don't give the Holy Spirit full permission to transform us through it by obeying it and by applying it quickly. The king was to learn to fear the Lord by obeying what he was reading, not just by reading it. So it's like we don't, Fear of the Lord, I'm sure, fear of the Lord comes from reading God's word, from meditating on God's word, absolutely. But there is also a key piece there of like we have to read and we have to step in. We have to read and we have to act. For the kings, they would see like literal blessings come then as they obeyed God and as he led them into life. For us, Jesus tells us that it's by obedience that we remain in his love that we remain in him as he remains in us, that that is our love for him shown in obedience. And I can't help but imagine that that is where our awe for him, our love for him, our reverence for him would grow. That is fertile soil for that to grow in our lives. One last question then as I finish is, did Jesus live in the fear of the Lord? And that's probably a whole other message for a whole other time. But what does he show us as our example of perfect humanity? And I was thinking of his words in Gethsemane and how when facing the cross, he prays in deep anguish, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. So knowing God, he trusted God, he obeyed God, even in his deepest pain. Now we will never have to do what Jesus did, but we may have some even though moments to walk through in our life where we will need to look at God and we will need to just keep going or we will need to look at God and we will need to obey even though I walk through the darkest valley I will fear no evil for you are with me now not all suffering has amazing purpose like Jesus's did some suffering just feels like suffering but fear of the Lord I believe can help us walk through all kinds Because not only does it fix our attention on the one who says, I'm going to come back, I'm going to make things right, I'm going to wipe away every tear, but it also like opens the door into friendship with him in the meantime. No matter how long the meantime might be for us, there might be days that come when nothing but fear of the Lord will raise our hands and worship to him. Nothing but an awareness, a deep reverence for the fact that he is worthy of it. To help us say, Even though I don't understand, I will trust you. Or even though it hurts, I'll obey you. Even though it feels impossible, I'll do it. Even though I'm scared, I'll speak. Even though it might cost me everything, I will go. I have a challenge for us today. And it's to read Isaiah 55. And as you do, pray, okay, Lord, teach me how to fear you. Teach me the fear of the Lord. Really, it's to read anything in scripture and be like, okay, God, teach me fear of the Lord. And then a little practical too, like if there's any area in your life, if there's any area for us of delayed obedience, anything we need to actually take that gift of repentance, obey to do that. Um, I just want to pray for us. And then we're going to go into a time of response as well. So let's pray. Um, Isaiah 55 actually says this, verse 8, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so, Lord, we come to you, and 
we acknowledge that, God, we make you small in our lives sometimes. God, we make you small, and you're not small. You're mighty, and you're wonderful. And so where we've made you small, Lord, or where we have in any way with hard hearts become numb to you, we turn back, Jesus. We repent. We say we're sorry. We say that's wrong, Lord. Because you are the God of gods and King of kings. Lord, if there's any area in our life where we actually want to, to do our own thing or rule our lives and have you assist us, God, we're sorry. And I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and show us God, show us the God of the universe who has said, okay, look at me and then know that I have chosen you. Would you help us to know God, the mighty God, King of kings, the one who sent his son to die for us that we might come into his family. Give us a revelation of that afresh today, Lord, that we might have this awe of you, all of us, Lord, to have that awe of you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.